Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, it's nearly a year since Laura Neese and Sean Whitnell were announced as the new co-CEOs of the biggest media agency brand in the country, OMD. Today, they're not convinced being defined as a media agency is the full story. But at the time of their appointments, their old boss, Amy Buchanan, had stirred the media ocean when she jumped ship to become CEO of WPP's Group M. It triggered all manner of speculation at the time of what Omnicom Media Group would do to replace the fancied Buchanan and what would become of OMD. Well, we're about to find out. Omnicom Media Group CEO Peter Horgan has a penchant for appointing joint agency bosses, and we have OMD's two leaders on the mics today for the one year on tail. What's happened to the hot shop? Is it still hot? What happened to culture? And is OMD taking a different direction under the new bosses? Welcome, Laura and Sean. I've been waiting for this one. I've been patient on this one. I've been waiting a long time. So let's get straight <laughs> to it. I've got a little bit of I've only got a little bit of time with you two. Before we get into more detail, why don't you give us a top-line overview on what's happened with the business in the past year under your watch? Laura, maybe we'll start with you. Yeah, thanks, Paul. And Welcome, uh, by the way. Thank you for your patience um, and having us. <laughs> um, so It's noted. <laughs> We're not alone with this challenge because we've all been focusing on navigating our businesses out of the pandemic and, and importantly, how we sustainably uh, bring people back together. It's not a one size fits all um, in terms of the approach. So for us, we've really had to double down by listening to our clients um, and also importantly, our people to understand what matters to them now and what they're looking for from an agency um, or employer for the future. So we've been going on this journey and importantly, we've had to really break the cycles which were created in the pandemic you know, the kind of short termism, the reactions that the teams were under, um, but also at the same time, ensuring that we're nurturing a mentally healthy workplace and continuing the strong relationships we have with our clients. And for us, a lot of those clients have moved around as well. So it's reestablishing relationships in different roles. And sometimes that's people that we've known before, and sometimes it's new clients. So um, a fair bit of challenge there. But I think it's no secret um, that we're all experiencing churn. So for us, it's how do we onboard our new OMDers and at the same time support the existing teams because they're grappling with the talent gaps. And what's been really helpful for us is our borderless agency approach. That was key to us during the pandemic um, as we've been able to access virtually and now physically, you know, a national pool of OMDers who, to be quite frankly, have selflessly lent in and helped each other out when it's really mattered And I think that's really important. It's one of our values. We're stronger together. um, And when you see your people living and breathing it every day, it it means a hell of a lot. Laura, was the structure more along state lines than in a federation, if you like? Is that what you're saying has changed uh, through COVID and in the last 12 months? Yeah, it's exactly that. It was very much kind of the Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane offices. And those geographical lines have been massively blurred. And I think you know, you look at how the teams interact now, there is no kind of, um, I guess, acknowledgement of geography. It's kind of, we're just the team that are working on this client problem right now versus where we're located. And obviously, you know, travel is back with a bang, as we know, like getting a, a flight now is is fairly expensive. But we are traveling more than ever. And I think people are actually making more of an effort to spend time in each other's offices and and sometimes extend the time that they're in the offices to actually spend time getting to know each other more and being part of the different communities. So, yeah, it's heavily heavily blurred the line for us. One thing you said early uh, up front was, um, you know, you did a bit of a listening tour and, and we're listening to what clients were telling you in the early stages of, of, of your appointments. What were clients telling you? What did they say they wanted? What did they want that OMD, you know, could lift on, I guess, under your watch? Yeah, and I think because we were coming out of the pandemic, the business challenges were evolving. So when we were in it, it was very reactive. It was very short term to what was going on in the market. What clients were then asking for was a more long term considered strategy. The reality, though, was still there was a lot of short term. For them or you? For them, for their business. So right, how could right, we right. how could we unpack the new business challenges that they were facing? And then how could we start having a more long term considered view on that? But at the same time, the day to day teams are still going through 
you know, the volume of short-term responses. So it was actually kind of managing different stakeholders within there. So you'd be having mm. a conversation with a CMO, but from a brand level, uh, brand manager level, it would be quite different. So it was sometimes the quite honest conversation back to them in terms of how they're navigating a North Star, but then actually what's the reality of delivering that as well. And to your point on the, like, the, how do you break the COVID chaos? Like Laura's talking about how we've tried to do that sustainably, find find balance in how we work but our clients are doing the same thing as well like they we're working with some of the like the biggest brands in the country and they are trying to figure out how do they help make kind of mentally healthy workplaces for their own teams and so to do that in partnership is kind of been where we've been and I think to your initial question which is like what was what we've done in the last year, like we we were really lucky to kind of be put into these positions at a point when the the business is incredibly successful, right? And I think we were we joked with you before as we were trying to push you away um, that you know <laughs> we like the go the the job for us is like how do we how do we build the next level of growth for our business and how do we keep evolving and like really the the build on that is making that growth sustainable because if you're trying to win at all costs then that comes at a, a kind of a cost of your people and that we're not that's that is a balance like that is something that we're not willing to do I think what we've done over the last year is obviously we've had a big focus on retention. So we have we've been able to retain and evolve some of our incredible client partnerships. So, for example, Coles Group and then the formation of the new Omnicom model in Smith Street, which is a really interesting model to be able to be able to build and craft and innovate on. But then there's also um, there's also the growth through consolidation and things like New South Wales government, right? which has also been done in the last year. And then our job is to make sure that if we're thinking about how you balance that with our people, that we are giving people new opportunities within these kind of evolution of our client service offerings. So in the last year, there's been kind of a 12% increase in the number of people in our business, which is huge if you think about the base on which. How many have you got all up? So I think the last count is 677. I don't know why that number right. is imprinted on my <laughs> brain, um, but uh, maybe it's because we've got future Christmas cards to write. But then yes. the um, then there's also about how do we give those people new opportunities? So like in the last quarter, we've had 50 RMDs who've been able to try and move into kind of new new roles potentially uh sorry horizontally so things like squiggly careers that's what we're really talking about how do we make sure that we have um, promoting non-linear progression through the new opportunities we're bringing into the business but we've also been able to double down on how do we bring back people so laura spoke to we were we our number one job is how do you grow the business sustainably and the sustainably for our cost of our people. But we've also had assets in to help us along the way, which is things like our new offices opening in Everly. That's in Redfern and Sydney for those that aren't Sydney siders. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. Come on down. Really highly recommend it. We've got good lollies in reception. But the <laughs> the benefit of having things like that is we have spent the last 24 months in COVID chaos, really struggling to figure out how do you bring people together to do the craft of what we're known for, which is like innovation and like how do we like collaborating to solve business solutions and business outcomes and actually having an incredible space, which Everly is. To be able to do that makes that job much like much easier. And actually, now you see people willing to come together and wanting to come together because they've got an incredible space to collaborate. Well, let's go there for a second because I think OMDs probably has been one of the more assertive media agencies in terms of getting people back in the office it's for a period, whatever that ratios are. How's that gone? What is what is happening with your people coming back in to do everything you talk about there? What are your ratios, your numbers coming back in? What does it look like? What we actually, what we've not tried to do is go out with specific mandates. What we've tried to, there's two challenges as you probably see it in the market. You've got like the, we have had a very flexible working model for well, years. And I think the bigger issue that we have is that people talk about it's like inflexible flexibility. Like there is perceptions about if you talk about flexible working, you're only dealing with the parents. You're only dealing with people who want to, you know, work, want to be able to go and pick up their kids and drop off their kids. I think the bigger issue that we've been trying to figure out and make sure that we are focusing on is how do you make sure that flexibility is accessible for all? And also, how do you make sure we are bringing people together for really meaningful moments? So that is 
making sure, as I was saying before, the business outcomes that we are trying to drive, you're bringing people together to ideate, to actually in, to work through problems together, to actually make sure that they are building the right relationships. We've also brought on, a, we just said, 12% of new people in the last year. So we're making sure that those people are learning from people and like from peers. But the only mandate that we have is that you are coming together for, like, for those meaningful moments. And that is really making sure that we are building teams um, that are sustainable and that you're really driving the best of the peers that you're working with. The mandateless voluntary office participation figure. There you go. I just made that up, by the way. Um, but <laughs> essentially what it is is um, um, how many people are, are choosing then to come into the office how often? What does that look like in, in any given day? Well, it, shall I tell you what? It matters because it depends what day of the week it is. And I think this is probably across every agency. Mondays are not a popular day for coming into the office. Right, right. We know that because Sean and I are generally in on Mondays. It's the quietest day. It's where you can get your head down and you get a lot of work done. Um, people choose to work from home on Mondays and Fridays. If you come in on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, that is when, you know, people are working together. There's a real buzz in energy. And for us, we're not going to suddenly start stipulating that people have to come in on Monday because people are trying to get the balance right so that they can, you know, start the week at home on a Monday. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they're all in and they're curating their weeks and designing their meetings around that. But so, OK, so Mondays and Fridays, though, Laura, does that mean there's 10 percent of people in the office then on a Monday and a Friday? Oh, no, you're looking more. We're still up in like 25 percent, I would say, on a Monday and a Friday. And again, you know, it's it depends on the MDs of each office. It, it varies by office as well. If you look at Brisbane, they're 90 percent in every day. Like they all love being together. Right. Um, there's nearly 70 of them. But for Sydney and Melbourne, it also depends on, you know, the social events during the week and where they've got kind of inspirational events or speakers coming in. They're designing the week accordingly and working with the rhythm of what people want rather than designing the week to go, you have to come in on a Monday or you have to come in on a Friday because for us, we're measuring output. Mm. We're not looking at who's sitting at a desk at any given day. But then last week, you know, we're running out of, we're running out of seats. So I was going to say on the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, is it sort of 80% then on, you know, on on those days, 80, 90% or upwards? Oh yeah. I think we were surpassed the 90%. If we're running out of seats, we would have gone past a hundred. So yeah, we are, we are in the highs. And I think that is actually one of the conversations that clients are having with us because clients Clients are not getting those numbers back in the office um, and people are not voluntarily looking to come in as often as the agencies are because, yes, we have shiny new offices and that in itself is a real kind of magnet for people to come in. But actually what we did do um, as we were coming back is we got the teams to work on a team by team basis to work out what's the right rhythm for them as a team, but also for their clients. And that really varies because someone like a McDonald's, we have an all agency. We have two days a week where all the agencies come together, either at OMD or DDB. So they're two quite specific days. So on a Thursday, we lose the whole of the OMD team because they're over at DDB. You know, for Apple, they're doing international calls because of the time zone. So they'll work from home on a certain day because it works best for them with time shifting. So, again, it's kind of there's not a one size fits all. It's on a team by team basis. It's making sure it's right for the client. And a lot of clients are coming in now and actually probably spending more time in our offices than they are in their own. Right. And that's also great for connectivity too. The other overlay, and this is kind of where Laura started, is the fact that if you're thinking about why you're bringing people in to an office, like let's be really honest, like we spent 24 months not physically being able to get into the office and there was – And we now, if you look at the industry, look at the work that MFA is doing about like trying to get people to fall in love with the industry again. Mm. Like that's our job too. Like we are trying to get people. So we brought in, we established multiple new teams in that kind of 24 month period. And we need to get them to fall in love with not just the roles that they're doing and the business they're in, but also like the why we're doing it. And we know that a big part of this industry is the relationships and connectivity that people have with each other. And so and you like we spend all of our effort during kind of the COVID lockdowns and the COVID focus about how do you drive that connectivity? And there's huge upsides in that. Like there is more connectivity than ever before. Um, like we recently did kind of a conference where we brought everyone together and everybody knew each other. Like it wasn't a case that there were no name badges because everybody could tell who it was from Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne, irrespective of whether they've ever worked for them and they were in their team. 
but like going back to the what are the mandates there aren't the mandates but like the biggest business challenge we have is making sure that we are cultivating talent that stays in this industry and is in love with this industry because let's be honest that it's not just a IMD challenge this is a challenge that we're all facing into and this is just a way that we're showing up to kind of deliver on it i've got so many questions so the first one is of that 12 percent. sorry of that 12 percent that you've hired in the last 12 months what percentage of those are grads or 20 somethings is it the the younger end of the spectrum that you're hiring there just out of interest it's a little bit of a mix um I we would have to go and get you the specific stat, but it, there is a mix. I think there is. Isn't your real time dashboard telling you that right now, Sean? Well, you're <laughs> we're your focusing face, our attention on you though. Your Paul. face is oh, on very the good point. My yes. <laughs> Damn. I mean, nice, nice out there. Right back at you. Um, yeah, good one. <laughs> you, so you don't know is the bottom line. Is this excuse to you? It's like it's quite evenly spread. Do you think? What's your hunch? Let's face it, there are definitely more roles um, to the kind of entry level roles in our business that we have definitely recruited for in the last year. And that's where because we've been establishing brand new teams. So obviously mid-COVID, we won Victorian government. We've obviously then got Smith Street and also New South Wales government, which are groups that we are building and of which there are obviously a good proportion of people who are in the first three years of their journey within our industry as a collective. But there are also people that were starting their journey as we went into COVID lockdown. And then our job was like, oh my God, like, stay with us. How do you like, and we are known... IMD is known for its for its culture, or we like to think we are, and also yeah. And what has been your churn rate? Because that is it's true. Like it is well renowned for having a good culture and holding people. So are you better than the industry churn rate uh, in terms of your people? As you know, let's test the middle here. Yeah, look, if you look at it across markets, it's it's very aligned with where we are at the MFA. But for us, that's high because we've always been below MFA benchmarks. Right. And you know it. It has been the biggest challenge because, as I said before, you know, you're relying on the existing OMDs to train these people up and also keep them, but also manage the gaps that are happening. So that's something that we've been really focusing on. Um, I think we touched on Kickstart that is at an OMG level that went out into trade press. And again, that's about opening the aperture in terms of we're all fishing in the same size pool but how do we start looking outside of that and bringing in different people with different points of view and diversity of thinking but also you know looking at that churn rate and going we can't all keep competing with the same people because then we're starting to you know compete in salaries or whatever it might be so for us the culture has been really important because it's why we have people that have been with us for so long but also have the opportunity to then have the squiggly careers because they see those opportunities expanding and growing which is where we've been focusing our time and then if I was coming at that from a product point of view the win is like the output in what we're delivering for our clients because if you're coming and you're bringing in people with kind of very divergent skill sets and also backgrounds then you're actually going to get a much more kind of holistic product output because Mm. if we are only bringing people in with the same media capability and like let's be honest media is our heartland but if you're only bringing in people with the same capability and the same backgrounds and you're going to get a very like one-sided product our job is to grow and evolve and shape that product and I think we're trying to do that by bringing in a real range of diverse capability and backgrounds. And what does that look like really quickly? What does diversity mean in terms of how far you're casting? You've got sheep shearers coming from Wagga or what, what does it look like in terms of the... Why the- do you know what? Would you like? We've got a couple of couple more spots open on the latest Kickstarter. Uh- I'll give them a call. I'll give them a call. Stand by. <laughs> Well, you've got, but let's think about it. Like, think about account management as a service. Like, there are so many different industries that have account management as their core discipline. You've got people who run estate agencies. You've got people. You've got people mm. who are sat in accountancy firms. Totally valid. Yeah. Like exactly, mm. and they are. Um, you also have people who are black belts in customer service, and we're going. Well, that's our job. And our job if our job is partnerships and evolving deep partnerships for our clients, brands and businesses, we can train you up on medium, we can train you up on the heartland, but we want your diversity in thinking. Laura, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you've got clients coming in and asking you how you're building that workplace culture. Apart from obviously both of you getting job offers for HR advisors and client organizations, what are you telling them that you're doing? What what are you doing that they're going, Oh right, that they're not? Yeah, it's interesting because I think 
what we're telling them is we're actually empowering our people to make the right decision for them. It's been very much about... So you're trusting them. Yeah, we trust them. Exactly. And if you don't trust them, as we said, this isn't about who's sitting at their seat. You know, it's great to come in on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and feel that energy because, you know, you start designing the week around communities. But I think um, for us, it's more about how more about how we are cultivating the culture again, because culture working from home is is quite challenging. You know, when you've got those moments where you need to celebrate or you need to come together and really crack something, I think getting in a room together and solving that's really important. So, yeah, there there are clients that are struggling as much. I think they don't have the asset that is Everly. And I, I maybe I would question if we were still in Piermont in Sydney, we'd be getting the same show up as we are now. But, right. you know, okay. the, the office is designed to be open plan and for people to come together and connect and, you know, if we go back to our conference, um, I think that was a real catalyst as well, because I think we had the was it August now, wasn't it? It feels like a year ago. Yeah. But, you know, we had um, 622 people come together on the Gold Coast for our OMD conference. And I, I do think that had a really pivot. Now 677, by the way. Yeah, well, look how fast we're growing. That was a few months we ago. It was hours ago. There were some COVID dropouts. That's the gap. Yeah, it was, it was actually the gap. <laughs> right. um, but I think for us, you know, the conference was a moment where we could put a line in the sand and kind of mentally move forward from the pandemic. And, you know, our mandate in that conference for the agency was how we connect, um, how we celebrate and how we inspire. So we designed the two days around that. And also for us, it was quite important to do it somewhere else. We were, we'd always been quite Sydney centric. We'd always been, you know, in wonderful places in the Blue Mountains or wherever. But it was actually a bit of a kind of um, almost a statement that we weren't just going to be New South Wales because of this borderless agency. And actually, we looked all over Victoria and actually ended up in the Gold Coast and supported um, SeaWorld. So Village Roadshow, theme parks being one of our longstanding clients. Which I imagine a client. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So okay. So all- and I'm going to drill down a little bit more on that and I'm conscious that we've got to race through a whole bunch of stuff. The one other supplementary question I had for you both on the on our first question, if you can uh, if you can bear, <laughs> yeah. bear with us, is you talked about you're not really caring about how people work, uh, how they come to work, but you're measuring output. So productivity output, there's been a lift, no change, same. It's there's no decline, or is there challenges there in output? Well, the output is what we're delivering as part of our client partnerships. And I think there's two, there's multiple proof points to that. That's the retention of key clients and how we're evolving, evolving those relationships. There is, there is obviously we have, we have multiple metrics in terms of satisfaction scores and also mutual client, mutual satisfaction scores where we're marking them and they're marking us. And like, they are in a good place. This is the clients you're talking or your people? Clients, yeah. yeah. Clients, yeah. clients, sorry. Yeah. But we also do multiple like check-ins with our teams and like we have we run multiple staff surveys and we have we also run things like um we run Unplugged, which is a forum where any OMD across the country can ask us anything and we and Laura and I will answer it. We'll give you straight down the lens, no problem. They are much scarier than you, Paul. Oh well I was gonna say, let me try. So what's your profit for this year? <laughs> What's the profit? Yeah, well, you said, you, you, said you would paper. answer it straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's growth in the profit, so you'll no. see that in the bullet paper. <laughs> okay, nice. Okay, so the output, so basically, so do I take from this then that, that, that output is improved or the same? So output is improved. We're in a good position, but I think that if we were thinking about what keeps us up at night is how do we keep growing sustainably? Got it. Okay. Let's have a flashback to a year ago. What did you see as the opportunity in the lead up to you both getting the, the top jobs? Obviously, for a long time, OND has had this credentials as the most transparent group in media and the media supply chain. What else was in that in the opportunity you saw that said, OK, we can take this on? And does that whole transparent positioning still matter in the market? Great question. Um, look, Sean and I have both worked in the business for um, a considerable amount of time and um, both had the opportunity to work in multiple roles um, and also in multiple markets. So the key thing for us when we took this role is we really understand what stands OMD apart. And that was really important to us. You know, if I go back, I began my career at OMD as an account director um, when I first came over from London to Sydney 
And what I really appreciated most in my role was I was empowered to do the right thing for my clients versus hitting any investment deals. And that was critical for me. What year was that, Laura? Oh, we're going back now. So we're going back to 2008. Right. Okay. So yeah. Got it. Um, a while. And then, you know, I earned the title of OMD Boomeranger, went back to London, uh, worked for Analect. And when I came back to Sydney, we'd launched the ambition of performance with integrity. And for the business, that was really uh, cementing transparency even further. But it made it more of an external positioning um, so that there was true accountability with our clients, but also alignment with the industry and how we as an agency could lead transparency across the industry in terms of where we were going. So in, in short answer to your question, overall, transparency has always and will always be our bedrock. It is absolutely not going anywhere. But it also continues to evolve beyond an ambition for us. It's very much cultural. It's in our DNA. And I think what we're most proud of is how our people show up and how they remain accountable with this. And they also keep each other accountable. Um, it's core to who we are as a business. And I think going back to retention and your point about churn, you know, when our people are embodying the values and representing your brand, it then fosters talent. But it also ensures that we have the right partnerships. So whether that be the partnerships that we have with our clients or with our media partners. And for Sean um, and I, we really focus on how we then evolve those credentials to continue delivering for our clients' businesses for the future. But as we always say, it's like a mandate, always done with integrity. So are clients still, though, um, seeing transparency as a reason to at least talk to you? Prospects, I mean, clients that you've got obviously see it, but are clients that are that are that you're in conversations with, is it there as a conversational point? It shouldn't. Absolutely. Yeah. You'd say it shouldn't set us apart, but it, it still does. What are they asking? Well, they're asking, it's the full transparent, like, I think, there uh, are multiple like agencies and holding groups that are still grappling with programmatic transparency. But the the beauty of kind of where we've been on and the journey that we've been on is that we we've, we're talking about whole of agency transparency from the retainers we put on the table to the digital ecosystem to then every different service and every different offering that we offer our clients. And there's very few kind of competitors that can offer that to the degree that we can. Okay, so you've won and retained a few important clients. Um, Sean, you talked to a few of those since taking the roles. Um, how important was that for internal momentum uh, and external market perceptions? Because I'll be, you know, you, you say you like blunt questions. Well, here we go. Um, here's a blunt comment. The observation in the market when you when you both were announced was, how's OMD going to go? And there was lots of speculation, as it always is in this industry, right? There's nothing new about that. So in terms of putting to bed or rest. And it seems like, you know, at least for the, for the first 12 months, uh, you've done that quite well. But, you know, essentially calming the farm, both external and internal, how important were those client wins versus some of the other stuff you did to doing that? Probably is the external market perception. I feel like there was, uh, from when we got announced, uh, there was the the haunting comment of some faceless person in media saying the only way was down. Yes, right. <laughs> yes. Okay, so is, was that you? Is that what it you wasn't me, by the way. No. Crikey, is that what you were saying? No, no. I, th- <laughs> so I, I thought, no, that's, that's that some... Comment. And I think, but that's, I guess, <laughs> that's a bit that keeps us up at night, right? Like the, the job that we had to do... Um, and are still doing is how do you keep growing this incredible business that we were handed sustainably um, at a time when we're conflicted out of most major categories and then you're also coming out of this kind of COVID chaos. So then our job is going, okay, well, we're growing. So we looked at the relationships that we had to, we had the opportunity to evolve and grow. And New South Wales government is a very good example of that. And then we're also making sure that we are looking at the service offering that we are delivering our clients and how we are pushing to evolve that as well. Because quite honestly, we like all of our competitors that like if you are not evolving your business, and you're not evolving your service offering, then you're not going to remain competitive because our competition is coming from the most, well, what we would have said five years ago, the most unexpected places. And I think what we're trying to do is make sure that we're setting ourselves up for success right now, but also setting ourselves up for success in the future. So we're listening to our clients and 
and they are coming to us and saying, this is the services and this is the outcomes that we need you to drive. And we're trying to figure out what are the different ways that we need to do that and who do we need to work with and collaborate with and what is the capability that we have to build within the agency to deliver on those. But we're also then making sure that we are not doing that at a kind of a loss to our clients because that's the balance, uh, sorry, our people, huh. clients also, we don't want to lose them. Just making that note, just to put that out there, yeah. (laughs) But I think if your question was like a year ago, what was the market perspective? The job is, was how do you keep growing that business? But also, how do you make sure that it doesn't come at a cost of our people, which is why we've been so focused on this conversation about people are our priority. The Gold Coast was a really good example. It was the first time that we've been really gone, this is not a mandate or a perspective coming from us as an executive team that was for the people by the people because they need to be empowered to be able to run and set the direction of the agency and we're just helping them like steer the course and like and and support them and drive them forward so how different is your style to say Amy Buchanan your predecessor or is it different I think it's just a very different time like what and what is required is a very different skill set as well and I think your question before is about kind of potentially why would we put in these roles and like we offered two completely different skill sets that are coming together to be able to set us up for future success and for that to deliver that sustainable growth. Laura is a black belt in helping develop client partnerships. My background is product and kind of this like kind of those strategic product overlay. And I think if we're talking about how do we evolve the entire agency offering it's those the focus of those two kind of skill sets that is going to help set us up for success, which is previous, which is a very different ask of where we were two, three, four years ago. Right. So the culture is different then under you two versus, and the style is different under you two than it was under Amy. Well, yeah, but you would want want it to be because we're operating in a very different market in a, a very different time and with a very different kind of a different need to deliver for the business. I think also just to add to that as well, we've had stability in our executive and our leadership teams as well. And, you know, they've been through multiple leaders over the years. And I think, as you say, it is a different time. I think we have this partnership. But for us, our leadership style is about the empowerment of that executive team. And, you know, we've structured it in a way that that kind of mirrors our partnership in terms of looking at product and looking at clients so that we can deliver it through the business as well. So the partnerships continue throughout um, our our structure. And I think what we're seeing is those teams really step up and take the accountability and drive um, the ambition through to our clients' business and drive the sustainable growth that we keep coming back to. Mm. So it's, it almost seems like there's more of a collective solidarity around uh, jointly managing and empowering people as opposed to Amy, who's led from the front. There's no, you know, there's no question. She's always been outspoken. She's a bit of a force. But there's a very, it seems to be a very different thing, which is what people have talked about under both of your leadership. So listen, um, I just want to get back to very quickly the Gold Coast meet because, you know, you, you talked about having, what, well, six, 700 people, 677, if I remember correctly. Oh, no, actually, that's your number of employees. But there's 600 odd people there. What was the mandate coming out of that? You, know, you talked earlier about needing to get people together and connection, but also there was the future direction of the business where you were going. And I want to get a little bit there. I know you don't want to tell me that, but I'm going to try. Cause, <laughs> you um, can try. Okay. Yes. Um, and then if, yeah. if you don't tell me something, I'll just cry. Okay. Well, this will be, this will be really awkward. <laughs> I'm not Let's sure see I how your you counselling and, and soft <laughs> skills go. I've heard you cry before. Live um, on the mics. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think there was a couple of things to the mandate. I touched on earlier the fact that it was to connect, celebrate and inspire. And, and we did set out the future ambition for the business. I think in terms of that milestone of, you know, behaving as a borderless agency, that is very much about how we're working for the future as well, not just virtually, but also in real life. And I think the other thing is, is how we felt that the conference left such a positive impact that will be for the long term. So Sean and I did set the future ambition. We're not going to delve into it too much. But I think what we have mentioned multiple times is our partnerships and sustainable growth and how we're looking at um, ensuring we have a diverse culture and workforce for the future. And importantly, what is the purpose of that for our people? Because that is becoming more and more important to why people are showing up and what it means for them having careers. So, you know, we talked to that. 
But it was very much to your point earlier about empowerment. You know, it wasn't just the Laura and Sean show at the conference and we didn't want it to be that way. It was very much a conference for the people from the people. So, you know, we had people across the leadership team. We had our exec nexters as well. So our cohort. So we've got seven of our kind of mid-level that have been um, interviewed and selected um, as part of our exec next cohort for this year. And they have been brought in by the exec team to tackle some of the big challenges that we want diversity of thinking and a different perspective on. So they had a seat at the conference and they were up on stage and were really celebrated as well by the people because they're the voice of the people. You know, they're challenging us on what we're talking about. Um, and we're of a you know similar kind of group of people. We want people to come in and challenge what we're doing. So it was diverse in that sense. We did also bring in a number of external speakers, again, just to kind of inspire and lift people because it was so soon after the pandemic that we wanted people to come back into the office or work from home, whatever, feeling excited about what was coming. Um, And I think that's why to the earlier point, we have had so many people show up in the office because they really enjoyed the connection that that gave them. Um, And I think a lot of people realise how much they missed it as well. Yeah, secretly. I do want to try and get to what looks like OMD looks like next. Both of you talked about not being convinced previously in conversations I've had with you, talked about not being convinced that being defined as a media agency is the full story of OMD. So if you're not being defined as a media agency, what do you want to be defined as and what does that look like in terms of the products and services you're coming to market with? Now, that's a very that's a very big attempt to try and get a, next, yep. get, get a peek at the future. Look, I think it's not just, I'd say, the the thinking about how do you evolve our business, but also it's something that most media agencies in this in the Australian industry, but also globally, is not something that is unique to us. I think the way that we're trying to do it is probably a little bit different. Like think about an example is in the last year, we've had a new global CEO in George Manis who got hired. He's got a digital transformation background, digital transformation agenda. Like, I think... Where we are taking OMD next is into a, we are not moving away from our bread and butter of media. Like that is not on the table. There is no. That's core. That's core. Yep. That is core. And that remains true to who we are day in, day out. And the way that we deliver it with integrity is 100% focused, but 100% of our focus and remains our ambition. And that's the work that we have done this year. But then if you unpack performance, that shows you kind of where our North Star is. If our job is to help drive performance and business outcomes for our clients, their needs are diversifying. And the way the services and the skill sets and the the way that we navigate a real a fragmenting consumer landscape and a, a fragmenting media and communications landscape is changing on the daily. And so we are bringing in new capability to, to deliver that. And we are bringing in new services and we are bringing in new ways of working um, which means that it would all ladder up to the OMD of 2025 looking very different to the one today. Like we have, we went out and like the, the ballsy part of the conference is we went out with our KPI scorecard to our team and we put in ambitions around the number of new capabilities that we wanted to add into the business by the end, by 2025. How many was that? Well, I'm not going to tell you, but I can tell you that we are already, we've hit our quota for this year. So this year alone, we've added three new capabilities to the business, like behavior change and behavior science is one of them. We've also got a lot of focus on UX and CX, but also then, um, and customer journeys. But then there's also things like data as a service that we're offering. And, but that's the starting point. But could I tell you what those service offerings look like in the future? No, because we're not there yet. Like our focus And the core root of who we are as OMD has been to deliver incredible and enduring client partnerships that evolve with our clients' businesses. And so the needs of today are going to look very different from tomorrow. And I think the proof is in the pudding. Like if I thought about the New South Wales government kind of... Good. Yeah, I was going to go there. Yeah. All right. Great. I'm ahead of the time, ahead of the curve. You are. You don't need me. (laughs) If I thought about the service offering we built in New South Wales government, if I think about the service offering that we've built for Coles Group in Smith Street, they are completely unique. Like what we want to be known for. They're completely different and unique to their own, to those clients. There's not there's not nothing shared in it. Yeah, but they they are completely unique constructs for those for those clients specifically, but they also don't match anything else that we've got in the business. And actually looking across 
all of our or pretty much all of our client like all of our maybe our top five clients that we have by size in the business each of those constructs are, are completely unique and completely different and our goal is to try and think about which is the different skill sets we're bringing into those client constructs and also what are the shape of them what is a way of working well, let's put some flesh on the bones, though, because, I mean, it's, it's conceptual and I get it, but a good example is New South Wales government, where you did have a behavioural science sort of uh, part of the tender uh, and the pitch. Talk to us about that, because that was a point of difference. That was a point of – it was also an ask, right? You've got a client that has got a 2030 ambition for customer centricity. The The benefit was it was like, how are we going to deliver on that ask, which is kind of where I'm saying – we will be pushed to evolve where like the client partnerships and relationships are asking us to deliver. The beauty of New South Wales government, to be honest with you, was being able to draw on our global network for knowledge and inspiration. Like the behavioural change and behavioural science is something that the UK government, can't believe I'm going to mention it, David Cameron <laughs> set up. Like, <laughs> let's, not, let's not draw it. A long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, um, under his government, they set up the behavioural science unit called the Nudge Unit, um, right. trying to introduce that into policy. And so our mates, MGOMD in the UK, have been quite far down the path for UK government in developing the service offering and service solution. So, during that process, we were able to work with them to curate the service offering of the future for for that specific client. In case people don't know, what when you talk about a nudge unit, what does a nudge unit do? What's that about? This is part of the behavioural science, but just a really quick top line on that because it's quite interesting. Oh, it's super interesting. It's um, it's a like a massive passion point, but the it is basically trying to overlay behavioural science and behaviour change theory. For government specifically, the nudge unit was about overlaying it onto policy to try and influence the outcomes of the, it was the British, well, it still is the British population. And if you think about how you overlay that into comms, like it was, it's been a big, this has been a big narrative in the industry, the MFA X presentation, um, not very long ago, but also um, in the five plus, you have people talking about things like bias and unconscious bias, like as the next level of communications that we're trying to deliver for our clients, you have to overlay what are the barriers in terms of conversion that we have to kind of deliver on? And behavioral science is just one of the mechanisms that we use to be able to deliver the outcomes that we need to. Quick question of the uh, products and service, the number of products and services that you said you want to be in the portfolio by 2025, we'll be able to count them on the fingers of two hands. Is that sort of, I know you don't want to give me a number, but it's sort of, you know, somewhere up to 10. Yeah. 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 Okay. Geez, I've got to work hard to get that sort of stuff, don't I? But what else? Any <laughs> behavioural science is really interesting. What else does that look like? Uh, or what have you been doing now that's you know floating the boat? Martech, for instance, you know, you're doing a whole bunch. You talked about CX and journey mapping. That's not necessarily traditional territory of a media agency. But we've been on that journey a long time. Like we have, we have definitely different capability to the market. If I think about data um, and technology, it's much more strategic focused and. We have principles where we don't talk about, you know, the we don't talk about the technology and the platforms and the dark arts. We talk about the outcomes that it's going to drive because we all know that if you get lost in the technical specificities, but the challenge and the barrier to conversion in most instances is this like the complexity in which people talk about it, but also people's understanding. So, for example, if we are working with integrity, which is our ambition, then it's about trying to take and demystify it because actually if we can take all of the stakeholders on the journey, and that's with our, our, our stakeholders within our teams, but also as our clients' teams as well, then it's going to make it much easier to unlock the advantage that data and technology can deliver. And I think we've been really privileged to be able to drive very tangible business outcomes for our clients utilizing data and tech, which can quite often act as a barrier itself. So um, I get all that, but everyone talks about data and tech, right? Everyone talks about capabilities, analytics, everyone's got it, just ask them. So what is special or different about what your product offering is and then we've probably got about five minutes left so i've got a you know a bunch to get through before then but i just want to get down to so give us an example sean of what data and tech or some of that stuff that you talk about what does it look like on the street being delivered well i think the biggest proof point the biggest kind of differentiator aside from the transparency so like we don't own technology mm -hmm. we're not trying to own part of the technology so we can come with a really agnostic viewpoint and we can use whatever you want in whatever format whether you own it or um you want to borrow it it, it doesn't matter to us because that's not where we're making our cash 
it kind of comes back to the fact that we have integrated this offering into our core disciplines. Like this isn't a consultancy model. So the, like we know that there are so many brands out there that work with consultancies for data and technology services, but the differentiator is the fact that we are the anti-consultancy model when it comes to data and tech because a consultancy model by nature consults, gives you a perspective and then steps away or delivers a project. We're not there for the short term, we're there for the long term. And we're there to see not only drive the initial outcome that we're being asked to deliver or in some instances not being asked to deliver, but um, we are there to then make sure that the whole of the communications kind of funnel is leveraging whatever has been built. And that is the main differentiator. And it's it sounds like a very simplistic model, but I think there is a huge amount in having a really rational, fully transparent model that's fully integrated into everything that we do. And also it's omnichannel. Like we're not just talking about the utilization of data and technology on digital media, because if we were, we would be talking about just a small proportion of everything that we do. I think we've seen some huge progress in the work that we've been doing with the broadcasters and how do you overlay customer understanding in some of our biggest assets, which are sponsorships and partnerships and how the, the business outcomes that that's driving. And that's that acts as our differentiator because we are having a really kind of agnostic conversation that is always omnichannel and it's always coming from a place with utmost integrity because there's no further skin in the game for us. Mm. And I'll give you a good example of that. And in fact, I listened to one of your podcasts uh, maybe last month, Paul, with Chris Brown talking about McDonald's. Oh, yes. Um, yep. And he talked about it then. You know, we've been working with Maccas for a long time, but over the last three years is how we've been using our capability within Analect, which... Analect, for those that don't know, is what? Our data tech and analytics um, arm of the business. Thank you. And, you know, they're not a bolt on. They're the absolute opposite. They are the engine that is powering the capability through the McDonald's business. And, you know, it brings to life, Sean's point is, it is such an integrated core part of what we do. So you look at the, you know, we won a MFA for Monopoly. Hmm. Um, it's the it's the piece of work that keeps on giving, you know, hmm. like because we're constantly evolving it. It gets submitted every year because we're constantly learning from the data. We're then taking those insights and it's then fueling our planning as well. So it's having a halo impact. You know, what are we understanding from those eight plus mil customers? We've got two million actives every month that we can understand what their buying habits are and then we can predict what we think they're going to buy, what their behaviours are. So, you know, that becomes a really tangible output. It becomes something that you can put a financial commercial figure on and you can keep growing and expanding and learning. So I think to Sean's point, you know, McDonald's is one of a number of client examples now where it is fully integrated in, in the work that OMD do in partnership with with Analect. I have so many more questions and I have to stop. So the last question to both of you is going to be sort of the outlook for next year. Obviously, there's a lot to talk now about, you know, um, economic conditions um, looking pretty volatile. To both of you, what are the sort of the biggest uh, two points, perhaps, that conversations and concerns or watchouts that your clients are talking to you about? What, what is your sense on the market for next year and, and across the portfolio? I guess the starting point is there will just be continue of normalization of overall investment. We're not we're not forecasting seeing any big swings. I think so what is keeping like most marketers up at night is a level of competition each of their businesses will be facing into. And I think that is if you think about the economic uncertainty, they, they are fighting harder to retain their own customer base, but also attract and steal share from other people. So therefore, it or other businesses, sorry, then it becomes really focusing and doubling down on the customer experience and how do you retain your core customer base. And then that, that sees an increase in interest in kind of personalization and the relevant investment there. And obviously, we've seen that with more of our clients employing people like chief customer officers. And how do you right. doubling down on the experience that you are delivering, delivering your customers if you're going to kind of keep them in the family? And and you feel you can play in that space clearly that you're already playing in that. Yeah. It's an opportunity, big growth area. Well, yeah, because that's that's what we do as an as an agency is the customer understanding, people based customer understanding, and then delivering the outcomes that are going to just differentiate, but also kind of retain. And I think 
the other thing is is helping our clients navigate kind of increased fragmentation in the market like there is i mean what we are one week away from netflix launching and mm. kind of the commercialization of multiple svod services and that that's a lot to navigate because you've got more you will see more fragmentation in investment at a time when consumers and brands are wanting to do more consistency and experience so those kind of those two, two things are completely polar opposite yeah, yeah. Um, if you like and our job is then how do you how do you weather that storm and how do you kind of mitigate the chaos yep, good call laura laura um yeah the last thing i'd add to that and it's not new but i think it's how we continue to be more sophisticated is the measurement piece mm. you know you, as people are looking to do more and more in terms of customer understanding personalization how are we stitching it all together so how are we looking at all of the different ecosystems looking at our customers own data looking at the various data partnerships but then looking outside of that and looking at paid media and going okay what is the attribution look like what are we actually measuring and clearly understanding so that we continue to um, test and learn and innovate in that space Okay, final question to both of you. So not on, it's not even on notice you um you haven't had this heads up, but in two years' time, how much of OMD's business will be a traditional media buying and planning versus all those other things that you talk about? And this is in context of you know the core remains media buying and planning. Take your point, but yeah. what does it look like? What what does it represent? Traditional media planning and buying in a couple of years' time versus those other ancillary services that you're building on. I'm going to say, say, look, is it 70% media in three years' time and 30% diversified? Uh, it's interesting if we have the same answer, but because one of us is going to go first. Okay, so yes. I was going to be more ambitious. Why don't you both text me the answer independently? I reckon 60% will be in the traditional space and then we'll be looking at 40% um, outside of that. But what would, what would you go for, Sean? Yeah, what were you going to go, Laura, Shana? Oh, like my perspective though is actually you probably still find it's 70 to 80 percent the traditional media like if you're looking at dollars from media investment but what we are doing to that investment will fundamentally change and by that I'm talking about the overlay of data and technology by that I'm talking about the different thinking and the different kind of supporting services you are delivering to ultimately change the outcomes you're driving within that investment so I think that we've got different perspectives. I think the ambition, the ambition is the same, though. We know that we need to evolve to be able to stay relevant and to deliver the partnerships and the outcomes that our clients are asking for. Whatever happens is a different beast. Um, Laura Nish, Sean Whitnell, I could keep going but must stop. So thanks for joining. I look forward to a follow-up where I get more detail on what the future OMD looks like, and I'll try harder next time. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.